Ready? Absolutely. Here we go. You are listening to Learning Transforms from the Faculty of Education at the University of Victoria. We are coming to you from the traditional territories of Lekwungen people and recognize the Songhees, Esquimalt, and Wissanich people's historical relationships with the land. Welcome to the show. I'd like to welcome Parker Johnson and Vishnu Punwani today. Hello, and hello. Hello, Thank hello. You for having us. I understand that the three of you already know each other. How do you all know each other? Uh, I think it, it starts when we got accepted into the minor in education program. And um, I walked into class and saw that there was a person of color instructing the class. And I was like, yes, <laughs> yes, I need to meet this person because I can count on my hand how many instructors of color that I've had in my whole post-secondary career. <laughs> so just introduced myself. And then, of course, yeah, Parker, uh, he texted me and was like, our professor for this class, she's she's going to be awesome for us. And he, he introduced me all met together. And uh, yeah, it was great. <laughs> she was, he was definitely right. So on the day that Parker walked into class, we were talking about white fragility and colonization and settler identities. And I could see that those were all buzzwords for him. So it was, a, it was good for me to see someone who understood the language as well and was so willing and able to participate in the conversation. Oh, that's great. So Parker and Vishnu, could you maybe tell us a little bit about yourselves um, and what you've started too, which is the table? Sure. I'd like to hear a little more about that. Did you wanna? Yeah, um, my name is Vishnu Panwani and I am a fifth year student in the social sciences faculty, came at major in psychology and a minor in education. Um, yeah, I just it's basically the same boat. <laughs> We've just fused our our uh, degrees together. We're just wingmen in this. So my major is psychology. My minor is is in education now. Um, and like you mentioned, the table it's uh, an initiative or platform, I guess is what you would call it. I started in April. And uh, Vishnu, like in life, is, is my wingman helping me out with this project. Um, and the focus of the project was to take up space, to decolonize, and to create space for people of color to share their stories and their experiences um, using a mechanism that is indigenous, using this kitchen table mechanism, which I'm sure we'll get more into. But it started in April and it's just grown organically in a big way up until now. What have been some of the topics that you've taken up at the table? Mm. Um, colorism and... Lateral violence. Lateral violence. Uh, I believe the next one coming up is interracial, interracial relationships. Yeah, interracial connections. It, every single month we run, we run one um, in a public space. Uh, and we've covered everything from, um, like Vishnu mentioned, lateral violence and colorism. We've talked about just lived experiences, uh, intersectionality, and over the summer, I mean, there's just been so many topics. There's so many stories to share, especially when you have an open door where everybody is welcome, that you might start with one topic, but it turns into so many others. Um, but... I really like I really like the idea of creating a space where people feel comfortable and co-regulated being surrounded by other POCs. If the topic is colorism, 
then it's no problem diving into that. It's no problem sharing the intersectionality, uh, perspective switching <laughs> uh, moments because we all have a shared lived experience. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That sounds really powerful. Uh, the kinds of conversations I'm imagining are really amazing. Uh, what are participants saying to you about how they're finding uh, the conversation at the table? So the feedback, the feedback has been has been quite interesting, um, and I think I think it's really important that we're here to talk about this particularly because I get a couple types of feedback back. Uh, on the one hand, I get I feel extremely empowered because I'm a person of color. I'm surrounded by other people of color who I've never seen before. Um, and then on the other hand, I get uh, from other people of color, they say to me, I don't particularly feel safe speaking in the presence of white people. I don't feel safe um, because I don't know a lot of people in the in the room. And what I've come to realize uh, throughout this process um, up until now is that the mechanism itself is about communal learning that means everybody everybody comes in although i prioritize only people of color speaking physically at the table everyone is allowed to come in and i think that's really important especially for uh, the younger generation of people who may feel self-righteous anger which is understandable and they want to express themselves in a a safe way but if you want to preach decolonization and, and, and reconciliation we're almost put into, uh, you have to take the harder route, which is understanding that this involves everyone. So that's some of the feedback that I've been getting. It's a real call for interculturality, isn't it? And for getting into the messy relationships that cut across our diversities. Mm -hmm. And can you tell us a little more about how it actually works? You mentioned the kitchen table model. What does that look like? Right, so you have, a table in the center and you have a circle which is called the listening or witnessing circle outside and I usually start with uh, two or three key speakers uh, with whatever topic it may be so for example what does the creative process um, of art look for a POC so I'll invite certain key speakers who I know that this topic resonates with them we'll start the conversation off And then as the conversation continues, there's no pressure to stay at the table. You remove yourself to give up space for someone from the listening circle to come up and take your place and speak. So you have this ongoing conversation throughout the night. Mm, Sounds like an equitable process for people. (laughs) I like it because it it forces people to be very Mm self-aware and self-reflective about how much space they're taking up in the world. And it also motivates people to share space as well. It's there's so much going on silently, energetically in this room where people are really self-aware, but they're also really mm, really overjoyed to to motivate others to speak up as well. In those moments, that's when I know this is the right thing. And who is coming to the table? Is it mostly young people, university students? Are you mm. reaching the broader community as well? It's it's definitely intergenerational. Yeah. I've had young kids come, and I've had uh, folks from the older generation come through as well. Especially some of my mentors. I love I love when the intergenerational wisdom, especially from the older folks, come to the table because their perspectives really kind of wake the room up. Because when you're in survival mode or you feel like uh, it's just a good reminder that 
there are other stories and the history before you is why you're able to be here now. And so when those people come to the table and they and they remind us about the foundation that they've laid, it's it's amazing. Vishnu, what was yeah. your favorite moment? Uh, favorite moments. It was the first talk I went to because I haven't personally been at the actual table itself yet. Okay. I've just been in the listening circle. But just seeing the effect it had on everybody in the room was eye-opening because personally, like, um, I'm sure a lot of people feel like I when I first started here, I got was just alone, like, just by myself. Mm-hmm. But seeing the community come together and seeing all the POCs in one room sharing the experiences that I've lived and knowing that I wasn't alone through these things that people have also shared with it as well, that was by far my favorite moment. Fantastic. Real, creating a real sense of connection, Definitely. not only for yourself, but other people as well. That sounds amazing. Uh, where, what are, where are you holding the table? Where, what locations are you holding it in? So we've, we've moved around quite a bit. I started at um, a place called Quench Culture Club. It was a co-working space downtown in the heart of the city. And then it was at the watershed. And then we brought it to Kamloops. There was a summer camp called Harambe. It's a summer festival dedicated to transracial families. So children of African descent and majority white families. I'm an adoptee of African descent. So it was kind of, I had to go. Uh, So we traveled with the table there and then we brought it back and and right now the the usual spot is been open space the art gallery downtown so i'm wondering what inspired both of you to get started in this work with the table and the other community work that you're doing i think a lot of the inspiration has been just the need for community something about this town everyone's kind of isolated in their own experiences. And I'm sure Vishnu will elaborate on this a little bit. When we met in school, we, well, we knew, we knew each other, but we never really took the time to connect and hang out and get to know each other. And once we did that, uh, Vishnu would always say, you know, imagine if the world operated like this. Imagine if we, we could just, all people, <laughs> come together and work together like this and so um i had attended a kitchen table type meeting on campus and it was it really struck me as as profound and i think that it needed to be more accessible because that space was amazing but not many people knew about it not many knew about how to meet like that and not not many people were aware of that particular event. So I wanted to just make it larger and make it more accessible. It's, a, it's an interesting experience as an indigenous woman and a former student walking on campuses. I sometimes felt both hyper visible and invisible at the same time. Mm. What are some of the experiences of people of color, the POCs that you mm. referred to earlier? Some of the experiences on campus yes. or just in general? Oh, oh, on, on campus. I guess we go back to that word of isolation because there's this feeling of knowing, being very aware of your existence on campus where people will just look at you. <laughs> that we call it like the zoo effect or whatever. <laughs> you know what I mean? um, 
but then there's also this feeling of I don't really want to reach out to people do you know what I mean mm. like I immediately if I see someone um, black <laughs> or brown or what we immediately make eye contact <laughs> like, we know I see you <laughs> I see you being brown on this campus that's kind of how I feel yeah. when I see other brown people I always make eye contact I'm always like I see you seeing me. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> I want you to know yeah. I, that I see you visible. Yeah. Right? And I think that kind of messaging is really important to give one another. Absolutely. Yes. But uh, yeah, but it needs to go beyond that too, because like <laughs> with us, like we for the first couple of times we just look at each other, and then we just leave. Like I see you, but that's it. Yeah. And we would like <laughs> we would every time we saw each other in public, we would be like, "Hey, how's it going?" But that's it. Yeah, yeah. But then uh, once we actually like stopped and like took the time out to be like. How's it going? Like, what's up? Like, let's hang out. Let's do this. Yeah. It's when everything started going. And going. that needs to happen more. Because even now, I find myself just like, you know, I walk by someone and I'm like, hey, how's it going? And then just walking away. And I'm like, hold on. <laughs> this isn't how this is supposed to go. Yeah. So I find myself backtracking a couple of times. Just be like, how's it going? Like, want to hang out? Like, let's do something. And and with the table, you've created this intentional space that people can get together um, how do you get the word out there and how are people receiving that? I, I've seen your Facebook page. They have a Facebook page and Instagram, mm -hmm. which I encourage everyone to take a look at. And the pictures are phenomenal and there's such a great turnout of people there as well and it looks so engaging. So how how do you find people and and get the word out? That was that. That's <laughs> this is why I know it's it's an important project, because once we created the social media portion, um, it just became word of mouth. But specifically, uh, folks of color were just starting to show up more and more because there's not a lot of opportunity for this. There's not a lot of opportunity to, uh, like I would say during an event, to flex your identity, to show who, who you are. And so that's why I think the response just word of mouth if something if someone is engaged with it and it, it strikes a chord they're going to let other people know so i really like what you're saying both of you because you're talking about the invitation right mm -hmm. the invitation to get to know each other personally mm -hmm. and the invitation to expand that circle to something larger right to a, a larger community and using the table as one of the avenues to do that right yeah. but i love what you just said about the initiative you actually have to say wait a second <laughs> yeah i don't just see you but i would like to know more about you exactly. and i think that's such an important piece that you're that you're offering up here um i'm curious about what you imagine happening in the year ahead I don't know where this is going to take us. <laughs> I don't know where this is going to take us. But um, I only see it getting larger. It just needs to be more accessible. And maybe it needs a permanent space in the city where it's just because it is monthly. Um, but in the year to come, we're already lining up um, different places that we'd like to to experience city hall for example would be a good one that's excellent that's fantastic uh we have a learning commons in the faculty of education mm -hmm. and that space is some place that we hope would be places where the table could be happening so let's stay in touch because i think that's a great uh, spot to ignite some more conversations yes and to invite uh 
a range of people yes. to join us, you know, or to join you in the conversation. I think that would be fantastic. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Absolutely. I hear from you the benefits of creating spaces for people of color. And I'm also wondering, how can we uh, expand uh, the discussion to include Indigenous people and settlers? What would that look like? So it's already it's already begun to happen. It didn't take long before this. It, it went that route because because of the mechanism and how it is communal, it requires it requires intersectionality to, to work. So you'll have people of color who may identify as black, but also as indigenous or uh, Latin, but also indigenous. There's always this intersectionality at play. And black indigeneity is one thing that I think is important for folks to understand when they come and participate at the table because they're actively they're actively getting in touch with their own indigeneity but connecting to the land here and connecting to the teachings here as for the majority the door is always open and that symbolic action of just showing up and relinquishing some space and time to listen and and support people around you to to speak for the hour and a half or however long that that to me is how you bridge the gap but I've made it very uh, firm that I'm not going to reach out all of the hands and say come 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 no it's it's an optional thing there's no pressure but just know that this tool this resource is available to you and if you show up then you're showing me and you're showing the community of the majority and folks of color that you're doing the work and I think that says a lot and I'm curious too um, you mentioned earlier that some POCs feel uncomfortable yeah. speaking in front of white people mm-hmm. how how does that go down at the table talks well I will say that every every event is is peaceful every event is calm and there's always an opportunity to decompress we have safe people there that you can go and talk to if it gets too heated there's always content warnings if if someone is going to say something that makes the room feel uncomfortable but i think to sit in that energy or that vibe of being uncomfortable is what's important for all of us because it's not it's not just you know the celebration and all of this no we've got we've got to unpack all of the all of the lived experiences we got to unpack the history um, and that means it could be quite uncomfortable for people who are of the, of the majority to come through and listen. Um, how does it go down for folks of color who feel like they're uncomfortable? They either talk at the table and they say it very honestly how they feel, which is fine because you will be held and comforted in that. And we've seen that happen. Um, or they just sit off to the side and they just listen. And there's something that, I, that I've done now is include um, a thought box. And so you go off to the side and you can write anonymously whatever it is that you're feeling and you can put it into the box. And I will, I will see that and you can say optionally if you want me to respond to you or not. So there's always an option to express how you feel in this space. It's just up to you how, to, how you decide in, in doing that. I've often said that the job of the Indigenous Resurgence Coordinator is helping to build stamina for ambiguity. 
uh, through workshops and through interactions and being available and, and those types of things. It sounds to me like the, the table is another mechanism to help people to respond to the ambiguity of this work that we're taking up. I've heard you say, um, that I've heard you use the word ambiguity, but in this, in this scenario, what do you mean by the ambiguity? Like the gray of... Absolutely, yeah, for sure. That messiness of, of intercultural work where okay. we're having to be really conscious of our identities okay. and we're conscious of the folks that we're in discussion with, their feelings, <coughs> their experiences perhaps, and wanting to maintain that connection with that discomfort kind of being really heavy amongst us, right? So I, I feel like I want people to be stronger in that, to uh, stick with it, mm -hmm. uh, still share their truth, um, sometimes unfiltered, um, but for people to say, yes, and this is essential to all of our growth. I, that reminds me of one of the, the events that we did, which it was on microaggressions. And so you, when you're in a room full of ambiguity mm -hmm. and there's all of this intercultural energy happening in the room and you're discussing microaggressions there was a moment I remember feeling like everybody just kind of synced up and everybody acknowledged the fact that this is uncomfortable but in this space this communal space we're here together in it and that was some of the feedback that I got from that event was really awesome as a white woman myself I understand my role as somebody who's walking alongside folks of color is is that I have to sit back and listen and sit in that ambiguity and that discomfort. Is there anything else that you would put out there to folks who might call themselves allies or whatever word they use, those walking alongside? Um, sure. There was a, I think there's a distinction between uh, another event that we did was on allyship and performative allyship mm. and making that distinction I think is so important because you know who's performing and who isn't and if you're coming to an event like the table where it outlines clearly that voices of color are prioritized here you show up you sit back and you support silently to me that's not performative allyship you're throwing yourself into something that could be quite uncomfortable for you and you're supporting your folks of color around you. To me, that that's what allyship looks like. Um, making that distinction to even call out people who might be performing allyship, tokenizing. Do you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Because it's it's gonna take all of us. I know that sounds cliche, but it it takes all of us. You know. I'm curious about how you're managing the other elements of intersectional uh, organizing. So certainly bringing people of color together, POCs together, uh, creates one forum. But within that forum, how are you addressing sexual orientation and class differences, ability issues, and on and on and on? How, does, how do you manage that? I've always been pretty head on with my approach to this uh, I think we're past we're past the point of just subtleties like let's just talk about it bluntly and openly and give the opportunity to people for people to be unapologetic in their existence so one of the most re uh, recent events was specifically uh, for queer trans intersex two-spirited people of color and um, I did that in collaboration with the students of color collective here 
and also Uvic Pride. Um, that was a space that I didn't physically come to the table to, but I facilitated that. And seeing the exchange of people who have come to previous events and not spoken up before, all of a sudden come unapologetically speak and share some new light on on what it means to be an intersexual intersectional uh like dynamic human being <laughs> like that was that was really cool you know um and i don't think well it just doesn't stop you know like i said pre previously word of mouth people some of the feedback that i got from that was i'll see you next time i'll see you next time i'm coming back and i think it's just in the promotion of the event of this is what it's for with no if ands or buts this is what we're discussing tonight people respond to that they just need the space people just need the space to feel comfortable in and have the opportunity to go and unapologetically speak and they do they do and as for class every event has different walks of life you have the student you have the the older generation you have the young people but they're all coming from different economic backgrounds and i think that's tied into identity and it's usually just brought up it's usually just this is who i am this is what i've been through this is my this is how the world views me you know people will just speak their truth and what has surprised you the most since you've started the table collective how fast it's grown <laughs> honestly <laughs> um i remember we sat down at a coffee shop not too long ago and we were trying to predict the number of uh people that were going to show up for the next one and i think we got hit like 25 30 people and we got there was about 50 55 60 people that were showing up and it was like we ran out of chairs <laughs> like it was it was unreal to see the uh, the growth and the, the word of mouth and just all these people of color that we didn't see before that weren't, you know, that are now putting themselves uh, in the space that we've created and it's good to see you, for real. I remember starting out the event, that one, and looking around the room and just blatantly saying to the room, like, where have all of you been? <laughs> <laughs> and I mean everyone in the room, you know? everyone in the room it, it was it was so incredible to see that kind of turnout is there anything else that you want to share uh, about the table or about your experiences in organizing um yeah it's it's definitely helped me grow a lot um speaking about mentors going back to that like parker himself is a big mentor for me and uh, the whole table itself because i'm able to now I wasn't necessarily like lost before, but like, I am a mixed child, so I am half East Indian and half Jamaican. So like trying to fit in earlier in life was a little hard, uh, but because I just look predominantly black, uh, everyone just kind of like put me as over there like as like a purebred black child. So like, but finding out about just like the history, like my ancestors, and finding about all that stuff um, has helped me a lot growing and seeing where we've come from what we've done um it uh is it gonna the like defense mechanism like, like when i was growing up was just like just not to talk about it just kind of like oh, okay well yeah it happened but my mom <laughs> go back to my mom she was always 
always the one to be like, we need to talk about it. We need to talk about it. We need to talk about it. And I'm like, that's fine. <laughs> we will, we'll talk about it later. We'll talk about it later. And then, you know, coming, coming to the table and having the startup now and meeting Parker and everything has helped me substantially. And it's very grateful for it. So I'm looking forward to where it's going to go and where it's gone now, even. Like to meet your mom, have tea with her. <laughs> <laughs> like, okay. Oh my gosh, make it happen! Absolutely. Um, in terms of moments, uh, as I mentioned before, feeling supercharged after the events, I feel like I learned something new, I learned a new perspective every single time. Um, Visible minorities were, were mentioned earlier. And I think when I talk about being unapologetic in your existence, when you see someone else do that, I'm motivated to stand in that myself and just, this is who I am. Nothing is going to change that. Those moments are super exciting, you know. Very affirming around your own identities and your own growth. I'm curious about how you managed to uh, lead in this way at the same time as going to school. <laughs> it ain't easy. <laughs> it is not easy. We only need a part two. <laughs> yeah, we got a lot to say about that. We, oh man. I, I think it, it has a lot to do with where our priorities are. Um, at this moment, we really, um, I know, I know Vishnu, goal-driven, uh, <laughs> we're both very goal-driven, having that purpose and knowing that us being here in this institution, knowing who we are and, and how we identify, the amount of privilege, uh, it really fills the gas tank because it's also great to step outside the institution and say, hey, we're building community and meeting other like-minded people. And that gives us enough charge to come back and do the best that we can here. It's a juggling act, it but is. we're doing it. <laughs> we're juggling. Yeah. A lot of sleepless nights, but it's all, good. It's all worth it <laughs> to see, to see the, uh, the events and to see the looks on people's faces and the stories that we hear and to come here and, like Parker said, the privilege that we have to attend such a prestigious school is uh is something we don't want to take for granted so they definitely play off each other and we're able to fuel <laughs> each other off of it so i heard you both say that there's graduate school in the future <laughs> and <laughs> masters of psychology is that correct uh masters in counseling master in counseling fantastic what do you hope to do i hope to be a therapist and to help people in this in this way um, on a more personal level and allow them to, you know, self-locate and, you know, move past certain barriers in their lives that they are, may not be able to do by themselves. Yeah. Beautiful. I want to, I want to help families and couples. That's my, you know, the dream would be have a, having a private practice. Starting up the, the table has definitely pushed pushed us towards the, the anti-racism, anti-oppressive route. And I think we're kind of at a time where you have to create your own lane. Um, 
but to work with with couples and families from an anti-oppressive lens would be really interesting. When you're thinking about um, your experiences on in the courses that you've taken and those sorts of things, what's your advice for instructors and faculty who are designing courses? How might your experiences transform what curriculum practices look like here? What academic programs look like? I have something to say right off the bat because I think it's so I think it's so important, and I, I'll relate it back to to when you're instructing the 100 um, education class. That self-location is incredible. Self-locate and and tell us who you are. Doesn't matter where you're from, t- tell us. And then tell us how you locate here on the land. Mm-hmm. Connect. If an instructor was able to connect themselves to the land, however that sounds, that to me is so important. It and opens the door, it right? o- Yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah. The normalization of the land acknowledgement and self-location. Yeah. yeah, breaking down that isolation that we spoke of earlier and making the institution a more accessible place as well because we know that historically it's been quite inaccessible for people of color and indigenous people as well. So I think that, yeah, self-location is a start. And... Um, it works. It's 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 not a hard thing to do, and the the mechanism of the table, which I'll say again, is indigenous, requires that you self locate. Mm-hmm. If we're all going to come into a space and be vulnerable, let's make sure everybody on the playing field is is equal and seeing eye to eye. Self locate. Tell us who you are, and it's also important because it's your story, you know. Mm-hmm. I think with that wisdom, I think we can begin to bring closure to our conversation. I want to thank you both for coming to Learning Transforms, and we look forward to seeing the kind of work that you'll be taking up in the months ahead. Thank you you so much for having us. Really appreciate it. This episode of Learning Transforms was produced by Julie Remy. Sound recording is by Bryce Many. Sound editing is by Emily Mabobi. I'm Shaneen Pete. And I'm Emma Edmonds. Thanks for listening.